Discover the tips and strategies that will help you achieve your retirement goals. I'm your host, James Canole, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you retire well. It all starts right here on Ready for Retirement. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Ready for Retirement. I'm your host, James Canole. We have a listener question today that we're going to go through and take a look at something that we have not yet actually discussed on the podcast. So this will be a good episode. Here is the question. The question says, hi, James, been listening to your podcast and recommending it to all my family and friends. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. It goes on to say, my wife and I are both 52. My wife wants to retire at 60 and myself at 65. We gross roughly $500,000 per year. Annually, we contribute to a SEP IRA and to a 401k, and the combined contributions are 100000 per year. We are living in New York, and we would like to retire at 65. We both have self-employment income as well as a salaried position with full benefits. We've been maxing everything out since our early 20s. We have around $3 million in retirement savings between 401ks, 403bs, SEP IRAs, Roth IRA, and around $750,000 in cash accounts, 500000 of which is tied up in stocks. We also have tax-deferred annuity with a spousal benefit by Prudential, which has a value of $200,000, and we are supposed to have a guaranteed income increase of 5.5% annually from this policy. We both have term life policies. I have, in addition, a whole life policy and long-term care. We already have our estate planning. The house has a small mortgage left, $60,000, which will be paid off in a year, and we also have a small New York City apartment with $180,000 mortgage left, which we plan to pay off in five years or less. When we retire, we will sell the house, current market value of around $1.3 million, and keep the apartment, which has a value of about $388,000, and move to California to be closer to family. Here's my question. Number one, Roth conversions. It doesn't seem to be a good idea for us at this time. I hear you speak about them a lot. At what point do I consider Roth conversions? Perhaps I should explore it when I retire at 65. And then number two, Fidelity is managing most of my money. They recommend to add a tax-deferred fixed income annuity, which will cost me about 30% of my liquid assets. The illustration showed that doing this will provide us an income of $86,000 annually when Diane retires at age 60. This illustration also has a survival benefit protection, and the claim was 7% guaranteed annual income. I'm assuming that 30% of my retirement money and not the cash account will be used. I would like to hear your thoughts on these pre-tax annuity tools. Is this a good idea or a bad idea? Pro is guaranteed income, con is you give up control. All right. Well, thank you very much for your question. Thank you for telling your friends and family about this. I love seeing all the listeners coming in. So thank you for that. Let's explore both of these. One, we'll talk about Roth conversions. And two, we'll talk about annuities and what place do they or don't they fit into when you're looking at your financial plan. Number one with Roth conversions. He says, it doesn't seem to be a good idea for us at this time. Perhaps I should explore this more when I retire at 65. Most likely correct. When you want to do Roth conversions is usually, well, to put it simply, one of the best times is when your income is much lower. So if you have significant pre-tax account balances and you have a relatively low income relative to what it's going to be in the future, that is usually the time to do a Roth conversion. So just to give you an example of why that's the case, let's assume that you, you know, looking at your pre-tax assets today, it looks like you have about $3 million in SEP IRA, 401k, 403b. Let's just assume for a simple scenario that all those assets grow by 7% per year. And let's assume that you keep saving $100,000 per year to these pre-tax accounts. 
but let's assume you only do that for the next 10 years. So I know said you, you might retire at 65, maybe your wife retires at 60, but let's assume just for the next 10 years. So until you're both 62, you're putting a hundred thousand per year away into these accounts and then you stop. But those accounts keep growing for the next 10 years until you turn 72. So you're 52 today, 10 more years of contributions, wait 10 years after that, because that's when required minimum distributions begin. Well, by that time, your $3 million of pre-tax accounts today will have turned into over $14 million under this example. If you grow by 7% per year and you keep funding it like you're funding. So congratulations, that's a significant sum of money in retirement accounts. But when you turn 72 and this age may be being pushed out, as I mentioned in the last couple episodes. So between age 72 and 75, most likely at that point, your required minimum distributions would begin. And based on the life expectancy tables, they would begin in excess of $500,000 per year and increasing from there. Meaning a required distribution from your pre-tax accounts of $500,000 and more starting when required distributions first begin in increasing over time, which means that 500 goes to 600 to 700 to 800 to 1 million, they would be pretty substantial required distributions. So there's going to be a significant tax implication at that time. Now, does that mean that it's time to do the conversions today? Well, probably not because there would be a significant tax implication to do that today as well. If your combined income is $500,000, I don't know what your deductions are. I don't know your whole tax picture, but I know you live in New York. And I know New York is a high state income tax state. And with the $500,000 of income you have, that would also put you at about the 35% federal level on tax returns on your taxes today. So is today the right time? Probably not. You might be paying 50 cents on the dollar of each conversion that you make or every dollar that you convert from your pre-tax accounts to your Roth accounts. But if you don't do anything before required distributions start, you might be in a similar tax bracket at that time. And we just don't even know what tax brackets at the time will even be. So when do you consider doing them? Likely in years where income is lower. Do you ever take a year off or is income lower for any significant period of time? Is it maybe when you retire and you retire and you stop having such a high income? Those are the types of years where Roth conversions often make most sense because instead of being in a 35% tax bracket, then it may be a 35% tax bracket. If everything were to stay the same in your seventies, well, maybe you drop down into the 12% to the 22% tax bracket at the federal level. In those years, maybe that's where it makes sense to consider doing Roth conversions instead of doing them in a year like now where your income is already quite high. In episode number 54, I actually talked about this. The episode title was what was at what point should I consider making Roth conversions? So take a look at that episode. That might be more helpful. But in general, you want to avoid doing Roth conversions when you're in a high tax bracket already because it may end up doing more harm than good in that case. So that's the answer to part one of your question. Part two of your question, to read through that again, says Fidelity is managing most of my money. They recommend that I add a deferred fixed income annuity, which will cost me about 30% of my liquid assets. The goal of this, based upon the illustration they gave, is that that will provide about $86,000 per year annually when Diane retires at age 60. This annuity or this illustration also has survivor benefits. The claim was 7% guaranteed annual income. I'm assuming that 30% of my retirement money, not the cash account, will be used. I would like to hear your thoughts on these pre-tax annuity tools, good idea or bad. All right. So a lot to unpack in this. And, And to start with, We have not covered really annuities at all, a little bit, but not much at all in this podcast so far. So this would be a good time to do some of that because with annuities, there are different types of annuities. 
and you will hear so so for example myself i'm a fiduciary fee only financial advisor what does that mean it means i don't ever get any commissions from any of the clients that i work with they i never sell them a product i never sell them anything that pays me a commission or kickback why does that matter well it matters because it removes a conflict of interest if i as a financial advisor am being compensated by selling a certain product I'm going to be incentivized to recommend a product that pays me the highest commission. And on top of that, just by the nature of being in that sales role as opposed to an investment advisory role, I'm just held to a different standard of care. So you'll hear a lot of fiduciary advisors saying, do not buy an annuity, annuities are bad, annuities are awful. And for, for many cases, in many cases, I agree. But there are some cases where annuities might make sense. So we'll discuss this. But the main thing that I want people to understand is the reason that a lot of people are anti-annuity, including myself in most cases, is less about the product itself sometimes and more about the incentive that is being used to sell that product. If you look at a lot of these annuities, they can pay fairly significant commissions. I remember the last time I was looking at this, the commissions on a lot of the annuity products I was looking at were about 7% and sometimes they're higher, sometimes they're lower. But a 7% commission on an annuity means that if I were to sell someone an annuity and they put $250,000 into that annuity, it looks like you don't pay anything. You don't see a fee on the statement. You don't see the cost of the product. All you see is, okay, I have $250,000 in this annuity now. But the advisor that sold it got a commission in many cases of let's call it 7%. So that that is a immediate commission of $17,500 for a one-time sale. Now, maybe it was a good product, maybe not, but I just want you to understand that there is a real significant interest that that advisor is going to have in selling an annuity because it's a pretty significant commission for the sale of a one-time product. So that is why a lot of fiduciary advisors say stay away from them. Is It's not before I even know anything about the product, just understand the incentives, how incentives are aligned between you and the person selling you the annuity. It might not be in your best interest, but in many cases, it's certainly in their best interest. Now, when do annuities make sense? Or why do people buy annuities? Because there are different types of them. There's fixed annuities, there's equity index annuities, there's variable annuities, and they can become very complicated, disguised as very sophisticated products, really, aka, meaning they're just very complicated products that people like to sell. So when do people say they like annuities? And you know what, before I even talk about that, let's just quickly talk about different types of annuities. You can have a fixed annuity. Now, fixed annuities, what that means is you put your money in an annuity and it's going to pay you a fixed rate of return. It's almost like a glorified CD in many ways. So right now, as of this recording, fixed annuities, if you have a seven-year annuity, is paying about 3.25% in interest, some of the top rates you're seeing today. So think of it as like a CD where you put your money away for seven years and you'll get a guarantee of 3.25% on that money. Now, the difference between an annuity and a CD is if I were to put all my money in a CD, I could take that money back at any time. And usually the only penalty I'm going to pay is I'll, I'll forego any interest earned. So if I put a hundred grand into a CD and it's a two-year CD and after one year I really need that money and let's say that money is giving me a whole half a percent in interest. So that hundred thousand has turned into a hundred thousand five hundred. Well, I can go in and grab my hundred thousand, take it all out. I simply forego the five hundred dollars of interest I would have earned at that point. Now with an annuity, it's different. With an annuity, you're going to pay a surrender fee or a surrender penalty if you take out the annuity before some allotted period of time has passed. 
So you can't just go access your money. Your money is tied up because what the annuity company is doing is they're saying, we're going to take your money and we're going to work with it in specific ways to get that guarantee so that we can ensure we have that guarantee to pay you back your money at the end of this term. So with a fixed annuity, you're putting your money in, you're getting a fixed rate of return for some fixed period of time. Now that sounds good and it could be good, but let's just compare apples to apples here. How much is that guarantee worth to you? You know, this fixed annuity, if you if you did a fixed annuity, let's say you put in $100,000 and you did that for seven years. Well, that $100,000 would turn into about $125,000 after seven years. So 100,000 grows at three and a quarter percent for seven years, you walk away with $125,000. Now, what if you had kept that money in the market? Just to, not, not saying this is a guarantee, this certainly isn't a guarantee, but if you were to invest that money in the stock market instead, say the S&P 500, the S&P 500 has historically averaged 10% per year. The difference is, of course, there is no guarantee. You could make no money over that seven-year time period, or you can make 20% over that time period. It's probably not going to be exactly 10%. But if you did get 10%, just to, for illustrative purposes only, well, then that 100000 would turn into $195,000 after seven years. So a full $70,000 more than you would have gotten with the three and a quarter percent. Now, what if we extend that to 20 years? If you put the $100,000 in for 20 years and get three and a quarter percent, well, it turns into about $190,000 after 20 years. So it still hasn't quite doubled after that period of time. So 100,000 today, let's say it's, it's 2021 as we're recording this. In 2041, I would take out the $100,000 and I would have $190,000 after that period of time. Well, if instead, if I had put that money into the S&P or just the stock market and got it, really anything that got 10% per year, that $100,000 would have grown to $672,000 by the year 2041. So a pretty significant difference. So what a fixed annuity does is it's like a glorified CD, but with surrender periods, but also more interest typically that it's going to pay. The question is, is that guarantee good? Is that what you're looking for? Or are you looking for growth on your money? If you're looking for growth on your money, you probably can do better than a fixed annuity. If you want something very conservative, that's the role that maybe it could potentially play. Maybe it could potentially replace a portion of your bond portfolio. Some people are using it for that. They'll probably record an episode on this and the pros and cons of that in a future episode. But some people look at it that way. saying, okay, this is the conservative portion of my portfolio growing at a guaranteed three and a quarter percent. But if you want your money to grow for you, that's probably not going to cut it there's certainly going to be other options with significantly greater growth potential, especially if you have time on your side. So that's one type of annuity, a fixed annuity, maybe the easiest to understand. The next type of annuity is what's called an equity indexed annuity. And these can be sold in such confusing ways. It's sold as this annuity product where you have no downside or at least very limited downside and upside potential as well. So it will get sold in a way of essentially it's saying like, hey, you're going to invest in the stock market. And if the stock market goes up in value, you're going to participate. If it goes down in value, you don't lose anything. So it sounds like this unicorn investment of, oh my gosh, I can make money when things are going well, but if things are going poorly, the worst case scenario is I just, I break even. I just don't grow. Sign me up for that. And it sounds that way when people sell it in a misleading way. And this can have its place in some places. Again, I don't want to say that all of these are bad, but most of the time I see them being sold, it's sold in a bad way because it doesn't quite happen that way, not even close. What's happening is the annuity company is going to make you a guarantee. And it, it, it is true. If you have what's called an equity indexed annuity, 
your annuity is going to be tied to some index. So let's say the S&P 500 index, for example. And if the S&P 500 is down this year and you put $100,000 into your annuity, well, you probably still have $100,000 by the end of the year. What happens though, where the annuity company makes their money is let's say the next year, the S&P 500 is up 25%. You don't fully participate in that. You're only participating up to a cap. So maybe you get the first 5% or 6% of that or something like that, where you participate to an extent, but you certainly aren't recouping or you certainly aren't capturing everything the S&P 500 does. And think of this from the annuity issuer's perspective. They couldn't possibly look at you. Let's say I'm their client. They couldn't say, James, we're going to give you a product where you don't go down at all if the S&P 500 goes down. But if it goes up, you're certainly going to participate in everything. There would just be nothing that they could do to make money from that standpoint. You have to realize that what they're doing and what you're doing, you are both making money on your money. They're making some of it. You're making some of it. So you're going to be limited on the upside of that. And there are going to be some some benefits or some value to saying, okay, this product is never going to lose money. But keep in mind what you're giving up for that. Keep in mind the opportunity cost that you are giving up, that you're sacrificing in order to accomplish that. If you're looking at that type of product, just make sure you're well educated. Like I said, these get sold as sophisticated products, which really just means we're going to make this as confusing as possible because the less you understand it, the easier it is to sell. So make sure you understand the details. Make sure you understand how the index is credited. Make sure you understand what happens in different scenarios. Annuity companies love to show you what are called illustrations. And they love to show you illustrations of a 2008 type market of, wow, look what happens if you had this annuity when 2008 happens. You wouldn't have lost any money. And then when the stock market recovered, you would have been going up with it. Well, there's some truth to that to a limited extent, but they're very much cherry picking certain dates where yes, there are some years that you would love to have a product like this. But on average, over the period of years and years and years, the more often you're in something like this, the less often you're in just a regular investment account invested in the market, you're probably not going to be coming out ahead the more you're in annuity type products. And then the final type of annuity, and there's really more than this, but just kind of from a high level, is a variable annuity. And I think that's what you're referring to in this question based upon some of the language that you're using. And a variable annuity, the interesting thing here is, well, once again, my issue with them isn't so much the product themselves as much as the way that those products are sold. So many times when clients come to me or prospective clients come to me and they have one of these products, they never fully understand how it works, nor should they. Like I said, most annuity salespeople sell these by overcomplicating them on purpose because the harder it is to understand, the more likely it is that you will buy. If people truly understand how these worked, I think annuity sales would be significantly lower than they are today. Because with a variable annuity, there's often sometimes something that's called a guaranteed minimum withdrawal value. And I see this here in this question, where in your question you say the claim was 17% guaranteed annual income, and there's some other guarantees that go along with this annuity. Now, this is where it gets a little bit confusing, because with a variable annuity, you are investing into some fund. It's not guaranteed growth like a fixed annuity is or even like an equity indexed annuity is to some extent. You're not getting guaranteed growth each year on your cash value. What the guaranteed growth is on is something that's called a guaranteed minimum withdrawal balance. So let's use a simple example. Let's assume I put $100,000 into a variable annuity that has a guaranteed minimum withdrawal balance. 
that guaranteed minimum withdrawal balance might be guaranteed to go up by say 5% per year. So if this year it's 100,000, next year it's guaranteed to be at least 105,000 and the following year guaranteed to be at least 110,000 if it's a simple interest rate that's applied to that. And people hear that and rightfully so, they think, oh, this annuity can only make money. It can't go down in value. And 5% guarantee, that's pretty good. But it's not the cash balance that has a guarantee. So if I invest this $100,000 into this variable annuity with a guaranteed minimum withdrawal value, that guaranteed minimum withdrawal value is guaranteed to go up to at least $105,000 next year, even if the stock market drops 20%. But the cash balance of what I have, the cash balance will drop 20% minus the expenses of the annuity. And sometimes these annuities can easily cost three, three and a half percent or more internally. They can be very expensive. And that's the cost you're paying for that, what's called rider or that benefit, that guaranteed minimum withdrawal benefit. And if this is confusing, then you're not alone because you say, wait, how is this growing by 5%, but it's still going down by 20%? Well, then variable annuities say they're going to guarantee some level of income. That level of income that they're guaranteeing is a percentage of the guaranteed minimum withdrawal balance. So they're saying, yes, we will guarantee you an income based upon this guaranteed minimum withdrawal balance and that guaranteed minimum withdrawal balance, sorry, that's a mouthful to say every time, that will grow by 5% every year. What's not guaranteed to grow is your actual investment balance itself. Your investment balance can go from 100,000 to 80,000 to 70,000 to 60,000 if the market goes down and down and down. So what you're looking at is is people get confused of saying, I thought there was guarantees and there is a guarantee, but it's on kind of an arbitrary number that you can't walk away with. I can't go to the annuity company and say, okay, I want to walk away with my guaranteed minimum withdrawal balance. I can go walk away with my account value. I can go walk away with my cash balance, my cash surrender balance, minus any withdrawal penalties for an early distribution or an early withdrawal, but I can't walk away with that guaranteed minimum withdrawal balance. And so what that is, is annuity companies sell us as this thing is going to do nothing but increase. And once you're ready to take income, you can start income. And that income is based upon this kind of hypothetical value that doesn't really exist in cash value form. And so you look at this and it sounds good and there are guarantees. My problem with these products though, is they're just so expensive. When you look at the income that could be created from them, you know, as you're looking at this, you mentioned going back to the question here, you say that this annuity that is being proposed, the illustration shows that they could create $86,000 per year annually when Diane retires at 60. So eight years from today, my guess would be, and I, I don't have all the information here. I don't know exactly how much you're putting into this. I don't know exactly what they're projecting it will grow by, but my guess is you could probably recreate that number without an annuity. So again, going back to my previous comment, when you're investing your money, both you and the annuity company are making money off your money. Whereas if you invest outside of an annuity, you're making money on your money. And yes, maybe there's an internal cost or an advisory fee or trading cost or whatever it might be. There's always some costs, but it's almost always going to be pretty significantly less than what you're paying an annuity company. And so you're just having to share whatever the growth is on your portfolio with another party. So as you're looking at this and saying, well, we can create $86,000 per year if we do this annuity, two questions. One is, do you need that income at that point? Because you're doing pretty well and just really taking a big step back, you're doing an amazing job of saving and investing. As you're looking at what you're saving, what you're doing, how long you've been doing it for, I don't know that you need this annuity to create extra income at this age. I think you'll be more than okay with the liquid assets that you have, (laughs) assuming you keep doing what you're doing. So one, do you even need that? 
And then two is what could you create without this annuity? If a certain percentage of your assets have to be plugged into this annuity to be able to generate that income at this age, what could those same assets do just with a standard growth rate inside of your SEP IRA, inside of your 401k, inside of a Roth, inside of a regular investment account, wherever it is, what could they do with just a standard growth rate? And then what level of sustainable income could be created from that when you need it? So those are things that I would look at. Here is when I do like annuities. And I shouldn't say like, but I should say when they could potentially make sense because a lot of times they're sold and the the reason they're sold isn't because it's good for you. It's because it's good for the person selling it. Sometimes very good for the person selling it. So when do they make sense? Well, number one, if you just cannot stand the volatility of the stock market and the ups and downs and the craziness is just too much for you, that's where something like a fixed annuity or an equity index annuity could potentially make sense. If you're just saying, look, I get it. I know the stock market can do better over time, but the ups and downs and the volatility is just not something that I can stomach and I can't sleep at night when that happens. Well, great. Maybe maybe you intentionally choose to say they'll take a lower income. I'll take a lower growth rate from an annuity in exchange for not having to stomach the ups and downs. That's, that's one case. Number two, the second place it can work is variable annuities actually have some, well, all annuities, but variable annuities in particular, they have tax deferred growth. So if you invest in an annuity, whether it's fixed or variable or equity index annuity, whatever it is, any growth on that money while it's inside of the annuity is tax deferred. So what some people will do is they will open up a variable annuity and they'll literally invest in it the exact same way they would have invested in any other account. They don't pay for any of the writers. They don't pay for any of the expensive stuff. They pay minimal cost on that. All they're trying to do is they'll talk about getting the variable annuity wrapper. So think of it as, okay, we want to create this variable annuity essentially just to be a bucket where we can invest our after-tax money. So so not qualified money, but after-tax money, because in doing so, all of the growth on that is completely tax deferred until we take it out of our annuity. So when people are talking about investing in an annuity, if they're going to do this, oftentimes it doesn't make sense to do this with a pre-tax account. Pre-tax accounts already have tax deferral. Your IRA, your Roth IRA, your 401k, your 403b, your SEP IRA, all those types of accounts, you're already not paying taxes as that money grows. It's all tax deferred or tax free. So it doesn't make sense to open up a variable annuity just to invest something that's already tax free into it. What you'd want to do is you'd open up or you'd have a variable annuity with your non-qualified accounts for tax benefits. And really, who does that make sense for? Well, it makes sense for people who have high income. So when, because when those people have capital gains and dividends and interest, well, they're in higher tax brackets. And so the value of tax deferred growth is significantly higher for those people that are in higher tax brackets. Quick side note with this, depending on the outcome of the new tax legislation that President Biden is proposing, you may see variable annuities and even some whole life insurance policies become a whole lot more popular not for any guarantees that they provide, not for any of the other bells and whistles, but for that tax deferral. Can I open this up? Just a very basic variable annuity with minimal costs so that I can invest and have that growth tax deferred as opposed to paying for high income earners potentially 50 cents on the dollar or more between state and federal taxes if you're in a really high tax bracket. So those are my thoughts on annuities and specifically regarding this question, I'm absolutely not convinced that you need the annuity. If you do need it, it's because there's some information that's not provided here in your question that I just don't see. 
I just don't see with what you're doing, with how well you're saving and investing and the growth that you're getting. And what I've got to imagine is, is a significant amount of investment experience by this point. I just don't necessarily see the need. If there are other details, feel free to reach out either at readyforretirement.co or james at rootfinancialpartners.com. I'll be happy to take a deeper look. But from what I'm seeing, not convinced that you need it. For everyone else, though, I hope it was helpful to be able to just explore different types of annuities, see what makes sense. I've actually been getting a few questions coming in around annuities and could they take the place of maybe a bond portion of a portfolio with interest rates so low? And I'll do some future episodes on that. But as always, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for those of you leaving reviews. Thank you for those of you submitting feedback. It always brings me a lot of joy when I get that or when I see that. So thank you for listening and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Ready for Retirement podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let me know by leaving a five-star review. And as always, for a list of the notes and the resources mentioned in today's episode, you can find those at the Ready for Retirement website, which is readyforretirement.co. That's readyforretirement.co. And if you have a question that you would like for me to answer in a future episode, then you can also go to the Ready for Retirement website, readyforretirement.co. There's a page called Submit Your Question where you can submit a question for me to answer in a future episode. Thanks as always for listening, and I'll see you next time. Hey everyone, it's me again for the disclaimer. Please be smart about this. Before doing anything, please be sure to consult with your tax planner or financial planner. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as investment, tax, legal, or other financial advice. It is for informational purposes only.